0: I mean, my blank slate was pretty blank slate. It was like, you have no business, there's no revenue, you have nothing, and you got a ton of financial obligations, you got to make sure you get figured out in like less than 30 days.
1: Why do we talk about productized services so much on this show?
2: I think we talk about productized services so much on the show because it is an evolution of what was a traditional agency.
1: Not only that, but an evolution of being a freelancer and selling your time for money. One of the fastest ways to get free from a job and a location and say a 9 to 5 is to take your skill set and to sell it to others in the terms of Billable hours, weeks, or projects. When you do that, you end up creating another world of hurt for yourself that might not rear its head for years down the lane. Today's guest was one of those people, Russ Perry from Design Pickle, who I became aware of in 2014 when he came into our forum, Ian. And he basically said, I'm dissolving my business. I'm kind of at square zero and I need some help here. That was in September 2014. Fast forward to last month, Design Pickle billed $90,000 in recurring revenue and has 20 full-time employees.
2: These are the kinds of stories, Dan, that I live for on this show. (laughs) (laughs) It's from the bottom of the bottom to rising up to the top. Everybody
1: has a skill set that is valuable to other people, in particular if you have a job. Somebody's already paying you for what you do. So, how might one resist the temptation to sell it by the hour and to create a product? out of your skill instead. So we're going to really dig into how Russ was able to do that. So back to that first post when I first became aware of Russ, that's how this conversation starts. I actually just read it back to Russ to find out where he was at that moment in his life.
2: I don't want a pickle Just want to ride on my motorcycle
1: so let me read back a post that you wrote in September of 2014. <laughs> it's called Looking for Guidance and Experience. Long story short, I've been running a fairly successful advertising and branding agency for the last 10 years. So you jumped into the forum and you were like, hey guys, I really like being here. I need to make some quick decisions in my life. Oh man. In 2013, we broke $3 million in revenue with virtually no profit. Quite a grind. Last week, we agreed to call it quits. So you came into the forum and you were like, wow, just take me back to that moment, like the week that you agreed to call it quits. Like, how did you make that decision?
0: So... I was actually at this conference called Gen Con with, if you know what that is, you're a super nerd. It's a board game. It's like a Dungeons and Dragons conference, basically in Indianapolis. And here I was supposed to be on vacation and we had just lost $650,000 of booked revenue in the previous 90 days. Like just clients walking out, people just deciding they weren't going to honor the contract. So I was like, what the hell am I going to do? So I basically Skyped from the Marriott Hotel lobby Wi Fi in Indianapolis. My partner, who was in Argentina, that's where our creative production team was then. And I just said, dude, I can't do this anymore. I had drained my savings. I had pretty much almost gotten divorced, not recently, but in 2012 and 2011, it was just like my marriage was put to the test. But I realized that I just had lost all passion and I was the primary business dev guy. And there was no way, we were at zero at that point. We had a few smaller accounts that we were gonna ride out through the year. So I just said, I'm done. And that was like end of August. So we basically came to an agreement on how to liquidate the accounts and our IMAX. There's not a lot of assets in a creative business. You have some outdated hard drive and old computers, and that was that. So September one, I was unemployed. I had no job, no plan, no savings. I was married. I had two kids at the time. I now have three. So it was a bit stressful. And I had been listening to the tropical MBA all this time. So I was like, well, this can't hurt. Let's join the DC. <laughs> but Russia, you
2: had three million dollars in revenue,
0: right? Ah, yes. The vanity metric of revenue correct. but And this is kind of gave me the experience at how to work with outsourced creative teams. The whole business model assumptions were based around rightfully so the Argentine peso kind of crashing which it ended up doing fairly successfully. So my partner was an economist and we thought hey let's build this model we'll do all our production in Argentina save a bunch of cash on the back end and that will be our profits. Well turns out when you try to do everything under the sun you can't get good at anything and so we were having to to redo so much work where there were so many problems, there was so much quality control issues that we just basically burned any hopes of profits around that.
2: It's interesting hitching your business onto a failing nation or a failing economy. (laughs) It's like a lot of times we'll build these businesses and you won't think who you're relying on. And in your case, you're reliant on their currency in some way. Yeah. And it didn't work out so well.
0: I was also kind of in the passenger seat a lot, too. I had really thought many times and we tried it from time to time. Hey, we got a niche down. We got to specialize. There's no agencies being sold. There's no agencies that are really succeeding being this generalist type of group and And my partner, we're still good friends, but he argued really, it was just a partnership disagreement. He wanted to be the agency that does everything. And ultimately, we just kind of came to a stalemate and stalled out. What it really came down to, and this was... Just the epiphany I had was I hated the agency model. It was like I was a slave almost in a lot of ways. Here I was with no more than six or seven clients that were paying us $250,000 plus a year. And I was flying all around the country. I was doing things that were just underappreciated, Most of the ideas we sold were eventually watered down so much by the end of the day that they were a shell of the original concepts. I started the business to become an entrepreneur in 2005 when my first daughter was born because I didn't like having to request time off from Apple. I mean, and I was like, there's got to be a better way. I'm going to start my own business. And here I was eight years later, nine years later, and like back again, basically with a job that I was trapped in.
1: I mean, when I look at your list of options that in September that you listed, one was you could be a consultant to make some short-term cash. You had a product idea for a car seat. (laughs) At some point, there has to be a table where your wife's on the other side and you're telling her about your car seat idea and what's she telling you. What are you doing is what she said. I actually
0: have the prototype with the Raspberry Pi. Like it looks like a thing out of the movie Short Circuit, like all wired up in my bedroom (laughs) of the car seat product, which I still think is... Is called the rock block i still think is a good idea no she was like what are you doing like she actually was recommending the consultant route she's like just consult just do nothing don't try to build anything just enjoy it and spend time at home and just relax that was pretty much my end of 2014 was just like forcing myself to just pull back and enjoy the consulting life which frankly was awesome compared to what i was doing
1: the fourth option here, it looks like the one that you said you built in a weekend after reading a TMBA post about the idea. You said a productized service company at the time it was called giantprocess.com. So what's the story behind that? This was like the prequel
0: to Design Pickle where I was starting to think, I have this ability to manage design really well remotely. And I've had a lot of friends who did large format printing. So I thought maybe there's a way to print, you know, like internally with businesses, their systems and processes are always kind of a nightmare. And that's just frankly, something I love to do. I love to get into Lucidchart and just like document systems and document processes and workflows. And frankly, I think that's why we've done well with Design Pickle because everything is so clear the process. So I thought, well, maybe I could document processes, send it somewhere to get designed and print these large format posters that businesses would buy, but do it on a subscription model. So every quarter I call them and say, hey, here's your process for your quality control system. Is this still right? Is it not? Do you need an update? Well, I launched it. I you know convinced a few friends to sign up for it, but it just was too Russ Perry intensive. I mean, the core functionality of creating these workflows and systems was just an extraordinary amount of digging. And ultimately there was no way I could really be successful at that without a much different engagement with the clients. I couldn't do that in like a phone call.
1: How did the process idea, the poster idea then evolve into what became design pickle? So I think it just
0: laid the groundwork. For, hey, there is something around creativity. And during this process, too, actually, I hired a friend of the show, Taylor Pearson, and he coached me for a little bit. He actually helped me get really clear around, like not worrying about trying to figure out what it is the business was and getting really clear with like who I was and what I wanted. He just coached me, like I think for less than a month, but it was probably one of the most impactful experiences I've ever had. And out of that, I just realized I'm not going to try to do anything. I'm just going to work on and journal and get clear with what Russ Perry wants and what my family wants and where do I want to be in three years. And I just stopped creating. I just was a consultant and I was getting paid a lot of money to design business cards and And do these other things, but I wasn't trying to actively create something. And that I think allowed me to have the space then to start to subconsciously create. I don't even know if that makes sense, but my consulting slowly started to grow because immediately when I was on the market, I was freaking out and I just emailed everybody I knew. Can you hire me? Can you hire me? Can you hire me? And then like a typical sales cycle, 30 days, 60 days later, then the people started getting back to me. And before I knew it, I had more consulting work on the design. design side than I could personally handle. And I was like, this sucks. I don't want to do this. What am I going to do? I don't want to. I wasn't too good for it, but I just in my mind, I'm like, this is not optimizing my output of energy. In my mind, I was like, "Okay, how could I do this differently? And I went on Upwork and the very first person I hired, not for anything other than to help me with my consultancy, was a project manager. And that person now is like my first employee in the Philippines who manages our whole team. Working in the consulting, he started to hire designers. I was like, oh, well, I don't want to design business cards here client here's an email just email this generic email i set up and then it would go to my project manager and he would design it with a freelance designer so we did that through december and then i read the seven day startup
1: (laughs) and just to clarify this is the seven day startup by dan norris correct yeah and i read it and i was like holy shit i have this business this is my
0: business but for design what and it was right around Christmas time and I was like, oh, I'm gonna do this. I'm so pumped. <laughs> and it all just had come out of organically like trying to have an easy life with consulting.
1: So just for frame of reference, Russ, can you let us know the headcount and the revenue currently of the business as of May twenty sixteen?
0: Yeah, so just this morning, we're right at $90,000 a month in recurring revenue. And we have 20 full-time employees in the Philippines. And then I have me and one other guy here, and we're gonna soon be hiring someone else here in Arizona.
2: You know, it seems like the seven-day startup, that book was really a turning point for you and your business, because it seems like you were on your way to building another agency, <laughs> just kind of in a different capacity, right? But there's not a whole lot of difference between agency and consulting, right? And it seems like you were starting to build that again. But then you kind of had this breakthrough when you read this book. And so what in that book helped you kind of reframe the way that you're going to form this business? Because essentially the work is the same, right? It's design work, but it's the way that you've packaged it.
0: I mean, it was kind of funny because literally WP Curve and Design Pickle at the core is the same model, just they do WordPress updates, we do design. One piece that came out of Taylor's work together was this thing called the decision-making filter. And I apologize, Taylor, if I'm like giving away all your consulting secrets. But the thought was, hey, what are things that must be true for me to achieve the lifestyle that I want? And so during the consulting phase era, if you will, I had created these things like, hey, I want to work remotely. I want recurring revenue. I want all these things. And so it became very clear that consulting failed at a lot of those. And you're right. I just was kind of creating another agency. So I had this checklist, if you will, in my mind. I still have the printed one here in my office, just to kind of keep me honest. Would you mind listing some of those things now? So the process actually starts with, I think, where most people start in terms of goal setting or, hey, where do I want to be? And that's deciding Kind of the things that you want to accomplish or achieve, and the timeline that I used was three years, because three years is enough time that you don't really know where you're going to be, but it's real enough. On that list was a lot of random things, like I wanted another kid, successfully achieved. I wanted to be able to travel two months out of the year. I wanted more volunteer time, et cetera, et cetera. So you create that list, but then the secret sauce is creating this list of decision-making filters. Is what kind of came out of the conversations with Taylor, where these things have to be true. They're like. checks, if you will, so that those outcomes can happen. And the easiest one is the travel one. If you want to travel a bunch, you can't have a brick and mortar business that requires your physical presence all the time. So by very nature, the decision-making filter then starts to kind of call out where you're not in alignment with where you want to go. So on my personal filter, a virtualized team and work anywhere type environment, recurring revenue, that was purely out of coming from the agency world. Like I didn't not want to chase down any more accounts receivables ever again. I just wanted money coming in and I just knew it and I can plan on it. The other ones were leveraging my past experience. So coming back to the rock block, the car seat idea, that was the big reality for me was like, OK, I'm going to make this product. I'm it in China. And then I had this item on my decision making filter like you got to leverage your own experience. And it was the record er, just, you know, nothing about manufacturing, you know, nothing about selling products. Like, what are you doing? This is a terrible idea. So, it actually is like prevents shiny object syndrome a little bit too, having these things in place.
2: And it's not like you wanted to get away from graphic design work either. So, I mean, I don't want to discourage and I don't think you're saying, you know, don't go after your passion. If your passion is designing a car seat and switching industries and learning how to manufacture in China, I think that's a great vision. But that wasn't really your problem, right? It wasn't that you hated graphic design anymore. It was that you hated the business model.
0: Exactly. And so what I found is the first set of things, the three-year outcomes were very personal. They were very like lifestyle driven. And then the decision-making filter were very business modelish. And I tried to not think of what it is I was going to do. I was just sort of trying to think of like okay, what is the perfect DNA of a company that would enable these lifestyle outcomes. So I had these lists And then I just chilled. And I think we completed the work in like October. So like October, November, did nothing. Go through Thanksgiving, nothing. Get into the Christmas season, just consulting. And then boom, I read the book and then I pulled out the list and I was like, oh man, I have this idea. Okay, let's check it. I was nervous. I was like, oh man, is this gonna work? Is this the right idea? And lo and behold, I think for all but one item, it passed, like the concept of design pickle, that business model, like totally fit my decision-making filter. And then at that point I knew, was go time.
2: So Russ, a question here. I think a lot of people are scared to actually put down on paper what they want in their life. You certainly did that. And you certainly built a business around what you wanted. I mean, it took you a while to get to that point in your life, right? Where you said like, I deserve these kinds of things. I've gone through the dregs. And so what recommendations do you give for people to get to that point sooner in their life so they don't have to go through some of the pitfalls that you had to go through?
0: The biggest mistake, and I think what caused me to I mean, it brought me to some really dark times in my life was always trying to do what I thought others would want or what I should be doing as an entrepreneur, whether that's like creating a $3 $3 million business or, oh, I have to travel because that's what agency people do. Like I just had all of these scripts in my mind and stories in my mind of what a dad should do, or what an entrepreneurial dad should do, of what I should do to not be like my dad. I mean, maybe I had a lot of daddy issues. I'm not sure. <laughs> but I think for most folks, they never get the blank slate opportunity that I really had. I mean, my blank slate was pretty blank slate. It was like, you have no business. There's no revenue. You have nothing and you got a ton of financial obligations. You got to make sure you get figured out in like less than 30 days. So that forces you to get really honest with yourself of where you're at and what you're doing. But the two killer tips I tell everybody is one, be selfish about it don't think about what your kids want or your significant others or your church or whatever. Like you just do what you want and create those things around you first. Because if you're not at your core being satisfied and fulfilled, no way you could do that for anybody else. And then the other thing for me was a hack I feel like really accelerates time and that is hiring coaches. I've invested a ton of money in coaching. And for me, it's like the time machine for getting results faster because of the level of accountability and then just the financial commitment to making sure you're going to get your ass kicked if they're a good coach.
1: I feel like I know a lot of people in that agency, that consulting business model or business models that are very similar. They've got the revenue coming in and they just can't change over to like a productized service. I don't know what the reasons are. Why is it so hard, do you think? And I wonder, does it have something to do with when you had like no money and a lot of financial obligations there's something in that mix that I feel like prevents people from doing what you did.
0: So every service-based industry you talk to that their primary driver of revenue is services, every CEO or owner is like, oh man, I just want to create a product or something I can sell that's automatically you know, a subscription-based kind of thing where money comes in every month. Every single person, that's their pipe dream. And you see a lot of successful companies do it, like Basecamp and 37 Signals. That's the quintessential self-funded dream story of a creative agency that created a project management tool that now like dwarfs anything they ever did. But the problem is, is that fundamentally, and this is just my theories, fundamentally service-based agencies in particular, creative agencies are not profitable at all. Their margins are razor thin. So that's why you have media being stacked on. That's why you have PR. That's why you have these people cobbling together all these other revenue streams. And so to tell them, hey, by the way, you got to strip away all of that and just do one thing is impossible for them to imagine because you're actually telling them to basically get rid of most of their revenue so that then they can specialize or so that they can focus in on something. And most people, they're not financially or emotionally ready to make that big of a leap. I was forced to. I don't know if I would have been able to either had I not had this traumatic sort of sales apocalypse, as I called it, during the summer of
1: 2014. I'm sure we all know on this call, people that were just in a situation similar to yours that somehow kept a few of those clients and kept going for 10 more
2: years. (laughs) Yeah. Well, because it's hard to cut off that revenue stream. I mean, emotionally, it's like, hey, I've got money coming in and you walked away from a fair amount of it, but it wasn't the right kind of money. So let's talk a little bit, Russ, about why Design Pickle is creating the right kind of money for you and how the financials of the business actually work and why they are advantageous over the consulting, and the agency model
0: at the core of Design Pickle is specialization. So we specialized on the straightforward production design of basically if you can explain it in an email and the output is a static graphic design file, that's our niche. I could list a thousand specific deliverables, but t-shirts, business cards, a brochure, a poster, a trade show graphic and blog images, Instagram image, so on and so forth. So it's not necessarily the end product that we specialize. We are not specializing in Facebook ads, although we do a ton. We're specializing in graphic design content that is fairly straightforward to explain and not necessarily fundamental to your brand or business, like an app or a website or a brand new brand would be. You know, those are the kinds of things that take a lot more research. They take a lot more time and collaboration between a client and a designer. We assume most of those things are complete, or at least you're really happy with them before you come to us. We're like your worker bees for the things that are in your mind, like, oh, Man, I'm going to a trade show. I need a brochure and some cool new business cards and this poster we're gonna do for like a fishbowl giveaway. Hey, design pickle. Da, 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 da. You send it, you know what you need, and we just execute that for you.
2: So I'm working on a home remodel right now, and I think there's some parallels here. So what you used to do in the agency is you used to come into my house and you used to say, Okay, we can put the fireplace here. We're gonna knock this wall out, we're gonna raise this ceiling up. Now essentially what you're doing is I'm as a homeowner, I'll have somebody else do that design work, probably. And then and I come in and say, hey, Russ, I need this header moved up six inches. I need this doorway widened three feet.
0: Now, yeah. So the agency is like the architect and the general contractor. It's like, hey, I want a Tuscan home. Let's talk Tuscan homes. And then I come and I say, OK, here's all the things. And we're going to do the Tuscan home. And here's the pool and blah, blah, blah. We're going to import these stones from Italy because I know that's like the kind of houses you're building now after you sold your sold your business. So yeah. Exactly. That's the agency, whereas Design Pickle is like, you need to replace your sink. So you're like, hey, plumber, can you replace the sink? Like, you don't really care how he replaces the sink or install a new one. You just, you know, you need a plumber and he's going to do it. But the plumber's not going to talk to you and be like, well, let's talk sinks. Like, what kind of sink would you like? That decision has sort of already been made.
1: It almost seems like what Design Pickle does is it prevents you from having to hire somebody, right? A lot of these successful productized services I've seen coming out, they sort of take aim at people that ten years ago you might have considered hiring. And that might be forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars on your books every year. And now you're saying, hmm, why don't I just pay Russ 180 bucks a month and I got the same thing, basically?
0: Yeah, well, 370 now when we launched, it was a little bit cheaper. But... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the dirty secret of most creative-based services. If I only build you for the amount of time I was actually designing, I like fractioned that out literally to the amount of time I was designing, I could not run a profitable business. So I have to either really increase my rate up to 50, 75, $100 an hour, or I have to charge for a lot of other things, which that's when you get into like project-based pricing. You can't be profitable in today's economy Economy, doing only the kind of work that we do with the old school models. And so the guys and gals and the companies that try to make a living designing brochures and business cards, they have to really inflate their fees comparative to what the actual amount of time that they're designing, because it doesn't take a lot of time. You would be done too fast and you'd be like, oh, here's your $10 bill and your, the volume would just have to be insane. In support of the freelancers of the agencies, there's far more complex work now that we can never touch that people think focus on and do like digital architecture and website design and app design and all those kinds of things. The industry shifted, but when we're just trying to now take a piece of that and say, hey, yeah, you don't need to have a $45,000 a year full-time employee to produce your trade show graphics, especially if you already have a brand kind of figured out.
2: Yeah. The interesting thing I think from a business owner standpoint is that is a real cost, you know? So you have these projects, these little projects that come up and they add up enough that you think like, okay, well, I think now I can justify hiring somebody for 45, 60 $25,000 a year to do this kind of work. And then you find out six months later, well, we're not really making so many graphics anymore, but we got this person on staff. Do we let them go? Do we (laughs) find some other work for them? As a small business owner, you're always trying to figure out how to fill that person's time. So that's the small business owner side of it. Now your side of it is kind of interesting too, because people probably come to you and I'm guessing you can tell me if this is true. People probably come to you a lot at certain times and then not so much at other times, but you're still charging them for the full time.
0: Yeah, we like to joke we're kind of design insurance. So you can have the on-demand person like you would an in-house staff, but you don't have to go through the rigmarole of finding and hiring someone when you need somebody because you've let them go previously.
2: And the interesting thing about that, I think, and this is kind of the core fundamental financial issue at play here, which is you're not trading time for money anymore so much.
0: Yeah. And there's one more economic play, which most people severely underestimate. And that is most designers are frustrating to work with or frustrating to find and hire. And I'm used to be a designer. So I can say this. It's one out of 10 that really can just hit the ground running. The rest of them, you're trying to figure it out and navigate it. So there's this sunken cost of your time just to hire, find, manage these folks that most people and business owners neglect. And that's the case too, even if you're only hiring freelancers and external vendors, it just is a consuming process.
1: I have a niche question I wanna ask. Coming back to the people that have these large revenue Franken agencies, there's a handful of people listening to this right now that have that company. And they've got 30 people sitting in desks. I'm curious as to how you felt about those people that were in desks for your agency, how you dealt with them. And was there a temptation at all to try to incorporate them into the design pickle move? Because I think that there's sometimes maybe there's a hope or a dream that if you're going to make a big transition that you could keep your staff, which never works. Was it hard to let everybody go?
0: Well, you got to understand my creative production team was actually in Buenos Aires. So when I had my partnership, the arrangement was Arizona was account management. So we had all the account executives. We had all of the salespeople. We had all of the, you know, there wasn't really much more than that. That was here in the U.S., And then all of our work was produced with my partner and his wife in North Buenos Aires.
2: So what you're saying is if you can't see it from your porch, it's not your problem. (laughs) Is that what I'm hearing? (laughs)
0: That was part of the business divorce was he got that half and I got basically no debt coming out of it. So he got the team and the business and the accounts that we did have. And we had some pending accounts payables, some significant accounts payables that just exists in natural flow of the business. And he took over all of those I was fortunate to have a clean break. Now, I've had friends here locally that have like started software startups and done these other things. And 100% of the time, maybe with the exception of like one admin or someone not like they're more on the operational side, not on the delivery side of creativity or programming, they can keep somebody. But culturally, they're so different types of organizations, a brick and mortar desk type job and like any type of software or productized service that the crossover would just be too confusing for those people
2: you know in turn you've got rid of all your employees are you basically turning around every time to somebody new when a new client comes on i mean i assume that you reach you can tell us what the number is here but you have 30 clients on recurring revenue and then you have to have x amount of designers kind of ready to service these people are these people on staff that are working for you now or are you contracting out to them as the jobs come in
0: Currently, they're technically classified as contractors. We haven't gotten to the point of figuring out Do we open up a local presence or whatever? But they are working for us full time, so our team gets hired, trained. Everything happens. They are our team and our staff. That's part of one of our biggest challenges: is actually matching our client load with our hiring process. And part of my trip just a couple weeks ago to visit the Philippines was to set like a strategic plan for staffing, basically how we're going to staff for the next 250 clients. And that's I think kind of a key differentiating factor for us is you get to work with somebody and you know that person, they work with you on an ongoing basis when you sign up for our service and you get matched. So it really is nice from a ease of use capabilities versus the lotteries of just finding people on your own, which sometimes you can work with them, but then they go and they disappear or other services where it is more of a crowdsourced, like first guy to get it, gets it kind of deal.
1: I'm going to flip the interview around here a little bit and we've been emailing and you've given me some excellent prompts. So made my job easy one of the things that you said is that the dc has been epic in my journey what did you mean by that
0: i have invested like i said a lot in coaching and masterminds and finding the dc was first of all i was really scared because here i was just nothing and from day one the culture and the community was empowering and connected and as a lonely unemployed guy at the time that was amazing However, I think as I've grown and changed and evolved, there's all these new layers to the community that I've discovered, where as now I've launched a business and then there's, I was a mastermind for a while with a couple of guys at that level. Then I kind of got to this other part of my stage and I started contributing. I've actually fallen by the wayside a little bit as far as contributions go, just been pulled in a lot of directions, but even still reaching out and connecting, there's just endless layers that always are ready and available and people who want to connect and talk and I mean, I truly have never found an organization like that, even in person in a lot of ways. So that has been just empowering. And I feel that it's like, I don't know if it's sounds too hokey, but it's like a cool family that everyone has come together.
1: So speaking of culture, you know, you started from scratch, like building a whole new team in the Philippines and you just took your first trip there. And I was wondering if you could give us some notes on that trip and bring us to you going to the country and talk a little bit about how you're building this new team.
0: So, culture, I think, is the only way we have succeeded in this model. There was a lot of people doubting me and kind of hating on, oh, you can't do that with creativity. You can't offer that offer and make it. And we've really proven people wrong. But I think the biggest reason why we've been able to do it is because I've invested so much in culture. And that's why I flew out to the Philippines. And spent 10 days there and met with the team and talked to them and went out with them and hiked up this crazy mountain and had a coconut at the top of it, Volcano Mountain, and like did these things. I mean, it's not easy for me to take a trip like that, being married with kids and all the obligations I have here at home. So our mission is to be the most helpful graphic design company in the world. But our vision is to change lives through creativity both for our clients and for the people within our organization. And those things, including our values, that's like how we were hiring from day one, from like our first few designers. We were talking about culture and mission and vision and values. And prior to Design Pickle, I thought most of that was kind of garbage and I went to so many workshops and read so many books about it, but it is our secret weapon. Truly, it's our secret weapon now. And so those types of events, as well as studying you know, more successful distributed teams like Buffer, those guys, Like it seems to me that that's the main driver of talent is, hey, how does the culture pan out? What's the culture all about? I want to be the number one employer in the Philippines when it comes to graphic design. We will do that. We already are. We've had people leave other companies and come to us. And they're like, this is amazing. Because at the end of the day, anyone can go hire outsourced designers and resell their time in some creative model. Like that's not a hard thing to do, but to create a culture around that and then deliver on that to our clients, that's design pickle.
2: Russ, you were saying that if I come on as a client, then you hook me up with the designer and then it seems like you work directly with them. Is that true? Yeah. And I think that that says something to your culture and the amount of energy that you've put in to thinking through this, because as we all know, you know, people kind of come and go a lot. If you don't, put an emphasis on why it should be that they're with your family so i think as a customer that makes me feel good when i show up and i see this person gets my vision and they've stuck with me through these projects and i think the more that you work with a designer the more they kind of understand your vision right and then the more valuable they can become so i really see a lot of value in you building that culture and we had our
0: first (laughs) like breakup where we promoted a designer to more of a management role and like all of his clients were so sad. They were like, no, We fly people emailing me like, I can't leave. But we explained within our culture, we have a career path. They work their normal hours. They're not working at night, like to match our daytime schedule. So it's like a good lifestyle. So we explained these things and they eventually made amends, but it was like this really bittersweet first experience we all had of having to break up a designer with all their
1: clients. I want to hear what all the pickle haters were saying.
2: <laughs> Can we talk about that for a minute? I was going to save this till the end. I have an affinity with Pickles. Rust, you as well? People
0: are like, okay, Russ, how did you come up with this brand? It is so cool. And I said, well, I like Pickles and designpickle.com was available. So that was the decision. <laughs>
2: Let's talk pickles here for a minute. I grew up on Mount Olive Pickles, which, you know, it's like you grew up in a basement and you don't think there's any sunlight. <laughs> and then one day you're allowed upstairs and the Claussen pickles are sitting
1: on the counter. Claussen kosher dills are right there. You could take a bite. And when you're done with them, you drink the juice.
2: It's that good. (laughs) (laughs) Or you can put it in a mixed drink. I mean, there's many things that you can do. Endless. The discovery of and pickles for me was literally like I was getting taken out of the basement at age 12. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and there's many
0: more layers. So we used to do the Van Holten's pickles, which are made in Wisconsin. Most people have seen them and they're kind of a bad presentation, but they're in a plastic bag at a snack convenience store or at the Little League game or whatever you can get these pickles in the plastic bag and they were awesome but we would hand them out our events like that was kind of like how we marketed for things like yeah, hey, here's a pickle and we had a little wrap around of our marketing material but the shipping was insane and this pickle company I love them they're super nice like I had to fax in an order mail in a money order wait for the money order to be deposited and then they would send out a pallet of pickles we were buying like a couple thousand at a time so there's a huge domestic pickle production because primarily of like relish what I learned. Like that's a huge demand from all the in and outs of McDonald's and everything. And it's just cheaper to make the pickles here. But in Phoenix, I found a local company, Mrs. Klein's, that cut our pickle cost in half and they're perfect. But now it's like endless amount of pickled items. So they do cauliflower, they do hot and spicy, they do amazing different things. So I'm super pumped because our pickle line item has been slashed so tremendously and the quality like literally the shipping they're fresher
1: they're not chewy i want to go to the design pickle christmas party that's what i'm fantasizing about right now (laughs) not the pickle haters let's talk about the design pickle haters yeah what were these people saying to you what was this entrepreneurial advice that you were hearing about this is a no-go
0: There's a lot of design pickle haters. In fact, yesterday I was moderating Facebook ad comments on like really intense pickle haters. But the early stage pickle haters were more like just critics. I wouldn't even say they were haters. They were just like, look, you can't... Creativity is abstract and open-ended. It's not a binary... Type of deliverable where you can scale it and you can grow it. And in fact, not a lot of people know this, but I got accepted to the final rounds of 500 startups out in San Francisco for funding and investment with Design Pickle. Flew out there in early 2015. And ultimately, the decision was like, look, you just, you're not going to be able to scale this. Like, there's no way because your value proposition is so open ended. But I kept telling them, I'm like, look at my numbers. We're doing it, it's working. So I don't know what the deal is. I was really thought I wanted to be like, oh, let's get investment. I think there was so much brainwashing to me prior to launching my own thing that that's the path for me. And it became this depressing experience of me sort of like, I'd imagine it's what dating would be like nowadays if I was to go single again. It's like, hey, do you want me? No, oh, okay, well, I'm sorry. What's wrong with me? So I eventually decided during the summer, I was like, well, screw that. I'm just gonna grind and hustle and crank this up to the next level. And investment is a non-issue. So
1: That's what you should do if you're single too, by the way. You got to hit the gym. You got to work on number one.
2: (laughs) Grind and hustle by yourself. Russ, that's interesting though. I mean, how do you think, you know, you almost went down that path and now, you know, you're the sole owner of this business. How do you think you would feel about this business if you didn't own 100% of it?
0: I'd be really sad. I dodged a bullet, totally dodged a bullet. And I'm surprised I even went through that process considering I just had gotten out of a business relationship with another partner that I was like, oh, I'm never going to get a business partner again. I didn't think at the time that taking investment was really getting another partner or another owner. Like to me, it wasn't, I was like, oh, I'm just going to get this money and can do whatever. But I've since now been in the scene here locally, as well as track some other companies long enough to realize that you get more cooks in your kitchen. And I, like being able to just focus and do what I need to do and trust me and trust my decisions rather than having to always try to figure out the politics or what ifs with somebody else.
1: I have a kind of a final question. You know, you've gone from oh shit basically to scaling a million dollar business in just over a year. And at the beginning, when you started, you persevered through the critics, you put it out there, and you had this list of things that you felt like the business would meet personal criteria. I'm wondering now over a year later and so much, like you said, entrepreneurial years have gone by. Did you get anything wrong? Would you do things differently? And how do you see things sort of going into the future?
0: The one thing that I really thought kind of hindered us was I tried to hire too soon in terms of non-essential. Like I consider my design team kind of a core function of the business. That's like expanding your manufacturing if you just have the scale. But I try to hire a sales guy. I try to hire a account person to work with clients and client service. And I just didn't know what I was doing. So to try to bring people on that don't live inside your head and you don't even have anything documented or really you don't even know what you're doing was a big disaster in terms of the finance. I invested in that and distractions on my time and training. So that to me was like, The biggest lesson over the last 15 months is go as long as possible doing whatever it is you can on your own simply so you know how to manage it and delegate it really, really well. For me, my personal experience was I tried to do that too soon and here I was with a sales guy, like, what do you do? I don't know, go do it, go sell. You're not selling? Why aren't you selling? Like, this is confusing. And he was an awesome, super experienced sales guy. It just was not experienced in selling pickles. So that was a huge setback for us. It actually really hurt us financially in 2015 because your labor is just like your biggest line item on any
2: business
1: we've all done that there's a lot of like guilty hands going up in the audience right now hiring the big ringer employee or salesperson or marketing person to bring something to your business that isn't already there it's all about finding that like new dna that you don't know what it is yet so it's hard to have somebody bring it to the table where do you see the next 15 months taking you are you going to take that vacation that's what i really (laughs) want to know
0: Well, I am going to California for a month in Dana Point. That's going to be exciting. And then next year, we're going to go to Japan. That's where my wife is from. So we're going to go down to actually where a lot of the earthquakes have been in Fukuoka down there. For me, it's just staying true to our core values. The metric is designers, because if I have good designers, then we're going to be growing regardless. So I want to get to 50 staff. Our big goal is to $10 million business annually. I hope we can do that in the next couple of years. We just dropped a lot of coins. So if you, anyone going to the Orlando Conference for Digital Marketer, they're launching a new conference. We're going to be sponsoring that. That's kind of like our first biggest investment ever in marketing. So we're going to see how that goes. And I've learned, though, that like me or one of my team dressing up as a pickle and handing out pickles is like a highly effective marketing strategy. We're just going to double down on that.
1: <laughs> Rusk. Tell me you're going to come to Bangkok in October, dress up as a pickle. You'll make
2: a great return.
0: So you guys reached out and talked about Bangkok last year, and I was having my daughter.
2: She's born on the 29th of October. No excuse. The conference was on the 22nd, but continue.
0: (laughs) It's already pre-approved. In fact, I'm going to try to bring my wife out and oh, make my. It a big trip. So I will be there, guaranteed.
1: That's wonderful. This is probably worthy of bringing out the old applause effect. It's a conversion
0: <laughs> on the show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Russ, you got a really compelling story. Maybe we'll get to hear more about it in Bangkok.
0: Yeah, I'd love to share more. That would be fun.
2: Thanks
1: so much for coming on the show, Russ. We really appreciate it.
0: I
2: don't want a pickle Just wanna ride
1: on my motorcycle. Well, I don't have anything to add to that. I think Russ pretty much came on the show and dropped the mic. But if you have something to add to that, we'd love to hear from you. We're gonna be discussing this one as well as linking to Russ's business and all the other businesses that were mentioned in this episode at tropicalmba.com slash pickle. Ian do you really eat the pickle juice
2: man i'll tell you what i flick it on my sandwich because it's got flavor and if you want to know what i'm talking about just listen in after the outro music to the show
1: hey thanks for listening to the tropical nba podcast you can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies load up your ipod that is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. By the way i just want to say to credit him this comedian is named hannibal burris and if you haven't ever heard of him you can just say goodbye to the next four hours on youtube because he's absolutely hilarious i have
3: a situation in my apartment right now i have a surplus of pickle juice in my apartment too much pickle juice because after the pickles are gone i don't like throwing out the pickle juice it just feels wasteful so lately i've been dipping my fingers in the pickle juice and then i flick it on my sandwiches for flavor like How many flits to detect the properly flavor of a ham sandwich? I say between seven and 11, depending on how big your fingers are and how long you leave them immersed in the pickle juice. There's a lot of variables, I studied this. I get home one day, all the pickle juice is gone. That's my roommate. I know I said I live alone earlier. But I like to establish different realities for every joke. So anyways, I asked my roommate, hey man, what happened to the pickle juice? He said, I threw it away. It's just pickle juice. He said, it's not just pickle juice. I flick that on my sandwiches for flavor. I said, hey man, you know I gotta hurt one of your lizards now. That's like seven lizards. That's way, way too many lizards. They don't do shit, they've never been on Animal Planet, they're not even famous lizards. They are random lizards, they chill in my apartment all day, they have lights on them all the time, but they don't put any money on the light bill. Who are these lizards getting all this free light? I pay for my life. I'll fry one of those lizards and have a lizard sandwich and flip pickles on it.